All right, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Uh, a couple of preliminary things as we get started. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one under every second or third chair. You can use that Bible uh, to follow along with what we're talking about today. If you don't own a Bible, like, and you can take that with you, and we wouldn't consider it stealing. Like, it would be a gift to you. Uh, so that would be a very positive thing if you want to do that. Also, want to encourage you if you have a smartphone. There's a couple of different ways that you can follow along today. Um, if you have uh, the Bible app or the U Version app, if you open that and you go to the tab section, which I think is on the bottom right hand side, and you go to the live part and you just type in the Well Austin, you'll see all the scripture that we're using today. There's uh, some points and some questions and that sort of thing in there. And if you don't have that app and you still want to follow along, you could put this link in uh, to your browser and that will take you there. So it'll just kind of show you what's going on, uh, help you follow along with what we're talking about today. Um, so normally what happens for me, like I'll just give you a real quick insight. So normally when I have the opportunity to speak, it's this weird thing that happens. It's like a anticipation, it's, uh, it's excitement, and, and usually not, uh, I wouldn't usually use the category of nervous. That's usually not the case. Today, that is the case. A um, couple of different reasons, because I had, as I was preparing for today, I discovered that I had two options. Well, usually what I like to do is I like to really give like good uh, prescriptive things, like, hey, here, do these three things, or work on this, and today's not really going to be like that, so if you're looking for a lot of points to fill in the blanks and all that kind of stuff, today won't necessarily be like that. That's what I like to do. Today, we're talking about prayer, and what I would prefer to do is be like, you give you an acronym, which if you grew up in church, you've heard all of those probably, but it would be like ACTS. So A is adoration and C is confession, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, I had two choices as I was preparing for today. I could give you, I could sum up everything that I'm talking about today probably with one sentence, but then that leaves a lot of extra time. Um, so, so that didn't seem to work very well. So I'm give you, I will give you the one sentence, but it'll be at the very end. Um, or... What I settled on is ultimately what's going to happen today for the most part is you're just going to have to listen to me read a bunch of scripture, um, which can't be a bad thing. Like if you're reading scripture, like that's a good thing, but I know what it's like. Well, for some of you, I, not everybody thinks the way that I do, but for those of you that have a hard time paying attention, listening to somebody read is worse than going to the dentist. And so for some of you, you're going to have to pay a lot of attention uh, in order to follow along today, because for the most part, I'm just reading, okay? Um, I will create a little tension. Well, I'm not creating the tension. The Bible will be creating the tension, uh, but we'll go through that. But because I seem to be extra nervous today, let me pray one more time, because if we're talking about prayer, that can't hurt to pray one more time, right? Uh, so let me pray one more time. <clears throat> God, we want to exalt you this morning. We want to lift you high. We want to honor you. We want to focus on you. We want to see you clearly. We want you to change us. We want you to make us more like you. We want to understand you a little bit more. We want to be different when we leave than when we came in. And so, God, I just simply pray that today in a a God-sized, supernatural, God kind of way that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we would just say yes. In your righteous and holy name we pray, 
Amen. So, we're going to just read Ephesians. There will be a little more than just reading, so some of you are kind of freaking out, like, why did I choose today to come to church for the first time? The dude's just going to read. But uh, there will be a little bit more, but we are going to read a lot. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. This is what it says. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So right off the bat, what I want you to see, what we're talking about here is that because of God, not because of you, not because of me, but because of God, we have the opportunity for salvation because he did something for us. It wasn't anything that we did. Um, We're not smart enough. We're not fast enough. We're not strong enough. I was trying to think of another adjective. Um, Like there's just nothing that we can do. And so it clearly says there that he makes known to us the mystery of his will, his desire to save us, his desire to reconcile us. And the whole thing comes down to Jesus dying on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, which we call the gospel. Okay, so that's what it clearly says to us right there in the beginning. And it says, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So he did this, he's calling out to you. And so like today, maybe for some of you, at this very moment, the Holy Spirit is kind of prompting you and you don't know what's going on. And because we're gonna read a bunch of scripture, you're gonna be like, I don't know sure what that means, but I, like God's calling me, like God's, and I just wanna follow him. And it actually has nothing to do even with me. It has nothing to do with the music. It has nothing to do with the chairs. It has nothing to do with the lights. It has nothing to do with the cool soundboard. It has nothing to do with anything other than Jesus. And so that's what we learn right off the bat. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. So it's God's plan. It's not our plan. It's God's plan, not our plan. And then it says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works. What does it say he works? All things. How many things? All things. Not just a few things, not just half of the things, not three quarters of the things. How many things? What does all mean? Yeah. It means everything. It says For the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So essentially what we can draw from the conclusion of those few scriptures right there is that God is sovereign, meaning like he's above time, he knows what's going to happen in the future, he causes things, he's in charge of things, it's his role. Not only does he know what's going to happen in the future, he's outside of time and he's in the future. Like We can talk about it, but it's hard to comprehend. I'm not sure that we can get that. But part of it is just the mystery of God. Like if you could understand everything about God, would he really be God? No, he would just be a friend who sits next to you. We need more than a friend who sits next to you. We need a savior, a righteous, holy God. The mystery of God is amazing. And it says that before all time and all things, he works according to his will and to his purpose. Okay? So in some ways, we should find comfort in that. In some ways, we're like, okay, God is bigger than me, and he's in charge. Like, that should be a good thing, right? God is bigger than me, and then he's in charge, okay? But it creates a tad bit of tension as we go through this. Look what it says in Psalm 115, verse 3. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all things that please him. What kind of things does he do? 
all of them. Not just some of them, he does all things. Whatever pleases him, that's what he does. Look what it says, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of a man is not in himself. He's like, I know that the way of the man, like he just, he can't figure it out on his own. That is not in a man who walks to direct his steps. God directs his steps. But then look what it says. This is also interesting. Psalm 135, starting in verse 5, it says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that the Lord is above all gods. So it's like, some gods, they just do nothing. But our God, he's above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, what does it say? He does. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Anything he wants, he does. In heaven and on earth. So, like, we kind of get that. Like, he does whatever he wants. When he's in heaven, he does whatever he wants because that's, like, that's where he lives. That's sometimes we get the wrong thinking and we just think, okay, yeah, God does whatever he wants in heaven. But it says, not only does he do everything that he wants in heaven, he does it on earth. Okay? He does everything that he wants in heaven and on earth. Okay? Look what it says. In the seas and all the deeps. Verse 7. He... It is who, who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from the storehouses. When it rains, it rains because God said it should rain. When it doesn't rain, it doesn't rain because God said that it should not rain. That is difficult for us at times. And so when we look at this, I want to just ask you a couple of quick questions. When we look at, I mean, we just read a bunch of scriptures, and what it says is, God is who he is because he's God, and he does whatever he wants because he's God. He draws you to himself. It's not anything that you can do. He says, yes, I want to save them. Therefore, I send Jesus. Yes, I want it to rain. Therefore, it rains. I don't want it to rain. It doesn't rain. Like, God does all of these things. And we don't have anything to do with it. So that is an interesting question then. If God's going to do what God's going to do, why should we pray? I like the tension. If God's going to do what he's going to do, why should we pray? I think it's a really good question. And we're going to talk about it for just a moment. But if God is sovereign, if, if God is outside of time, if he knows everything that's going to happen in the future, if he causes things to happen, if he knows that he does everything in heaven and on earth that pleases him, then why should we pray? Why? Like, in some ways that's comforting. Like, God just is God and he's going to do what he wants. Okay, I like that. Like, that brings me a little bit of comfort because I know that I screw up most of the time. So if God's going to take control, I want him to do that. So that's a positive thing. But why should we pray if he's just going to do what he wants to do anyway? Well, now you want more tension? Watch this. Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. He's talking about church people, okay? <laughs> He's like, I've seen these fools, and they are crazy. <laughs> now, therefore, let me alone, 
Let my wrath, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may have a great nation with you. Okay, quick translation of what's going on here. God is saying to Moses, step back out of the way. These people are crazy and I'm gonna kill them and then I'll come back and get you and we'll start over and we'll make something great. That's what he says. Like, well, I mean, that's Bob's translation of what he says, but that's what he's saying. Like, time out, scoot over, I'm angry, I'm going to blow them up, and we're going to start over. That's what God says. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So they've come from a place of captivity. They've come into freedom and God has led them there in his sovereignty. He brought them into this great place. Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Moses is praying. He's asking God, God, why would you do this? You brought us from there to here. Things, this seems to be like what you wanted to do. This is your plan. Are you really going to bring us out here just to kill us? That's what he's saying. He's like having this conversation with God. And then he says, Turn from your burning, this is Moses talking to God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Moses is pleading, he's begging, he's crying out to God. God, I get it, you're angry, okay? But let's think this through. You're really gonna bring us out here and just destroy them? Is that really what you're gonna do? Why would you do that? He's begging and pleading with God and look what it says in verse 14. And the Lord, what did he do? He relented. It says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So we just read a bunch of scriptures about God's going to do whatever he wants to do because he's God in heaven and on earth. And now it says that God's about to destroy his people and Moses prays to him and he stops. Interesting. James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then look what it says. You do not have because you do not ask. Doesn't that imply that the reason that you don't have is because you're not praying, you're not asking? I mean, doesn't, I mean, we can, can't we draw that conclusion? Isn't that what it's implying there? Luke chapter 11. Verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Time out. Who's, who, who is saying this? Do you know? Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Son of God. Look what he's saying. 
And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. So isn't Jesus telling us, like, hey, you should be praying. You should be having this conversation with your Father God, because when you ask, you receive. That's not Bob. That's Jesus. He's a little bit better. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people pray, I will heal their land. If, like that's a conditional thing, right? I mean, I'm not great at English, but it seems like if, that's a conditional thing. If my people pray, then I will do this. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we pray, if we ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us. So the question then becomes, is God sovereign, like over everything? He does what he wants in heaven and on earth. He's outside of time. He knows what's going to happen in the future. Is God sovereign? Or can we just ask him whatever we want and he gives it to us? Which one is it? Like, that's a good question. Like, this isn't me making up stuff. This comes from the Bible, okay? So I, give, I present with you two things. It seems like God is saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. But then it seems like he says, ask me. So what is it? Is God sovereign or were we supposed to pray and ask him? Yes. <laughs> Let me explain it this way. Let me, let me attempt to explain it this way. If we believe that God is a sovereign God who draws people to himself and there isn't anything that we can do to earn our salvation, there isn't, like, there isn't, if you do these three steps or if you do jumping jacks or if you eat this food or drink this Kool-Aid, then you get salvation. If we believe that God is drawing us to himself, then it poses the question, why should we preach? The reason that we preach is because the proclamation of God's word, his scripture, is the means by which he brings about salvation. So yes, it's God doing it. We just get to participate with him in it. God is doing it. God is drawing, maybe at this very moment, in a sermon about prayer that has nothing really technically to do with salvation, though I think it all has to do with salvation. Right now we're talking about prayer, but maybe somebody in the room is like, God is drawing me to himself. I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to have to respond. And it has nothing to do with what we sing about or what we talk about technically, but we get to participate in it. The proclamation of Scripture is God's means by bringing about salvation. It's God doing it. Okay? So therefore, I want us to look at this. I, I don't know. We have it on the screen, and I'll probably mess it up, and I don't know if I'll explain it right. Hopefully this comes out right. Prayer becomes the means to God accomplishing his purposes. So we get the opportunity to participate with him in accomplishing his purpose. So then we can sit here and have this interesting debate back and forth all day long. So is it that we're changing God or God is changing us? I think the answer is we can't change God. 
But yet when we participate with him in prayer, it seems like, at least according to the story that we read about Moses, that God relents. So is it that he knew what he was going to do all along and then he changed his mind? Like, I know, don't spend too much time thinking about it right now. And we should have conversations about this. But I think that the answer is yes. Is God sovereign above everything else and in control of everything? Yes. But does he still desire us to come before him and ask him? And have conversations with him. Yes. And prayer is the means by which God accomplishes his purposes. How does it work? It's called a divine mystery. The other problem is, like I know people who like to have those debates about, well, God is sovereign over everything. Or... God just gives us what we want. And they have these debates back and forth. Well, which one is it? Which one is it? I, wanted, I, I just want you to see the people over here that say that God is absolutely sovereign and there isn't anything that we can do about it. You know what happens? They value intellect way more than they value prayer. Therefore, they don't pray. But the people over here that says, I really think that God is a little bit more like a cosmic vending machine. And if I put in the right amount, if I push the right buttons, if I say the right thing, if I kick the bottom of it out, I get what I want. Do you realize that both of those are wrong? If it was only about what you knew, then why would it tell us if you Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you. Prayer is the means by which God accomplishes his purposes. Yes, it actually has nothing to do with you and me, but isn't it cool that we get to participate in it? And so what I want to warn you, and I know there's people in the room who are probably in both sides of this, like, oh yeah, God is absolutely sovereign, therefore I'm really going to study, 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 and therefore they never pray or they pray very seldom because it doesn't really serve a whole lot of purpose because it's just God and what you know about him. And then I know that there's probably people in the room that's just like, I gotta push the right buttons, I gotta say the right thing, I gotta, uh, and they treat God like a butler and not a righteous savior. So I just wanna, it's just something that we should think about. But I want us to not just think about it, I want us to read some more. Luke chapter 11 What father among you, I think part of the reason why sometimes we don't pray is because we just forget what the Bible tells us about prayer. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Like, this is, again, just so we're clear, Jesus is talking here, and he's, like, having a conversation, and he was like, how many of you would, if your kid asked you for a gift, would give them something that's going to harm them? And let me promise you, they would have known what he was talking about, because nobody's going to be like, yeah, me. Like, it's, in some ways, it's kind of a dumb question, because everyone's like, no, nobody's going to do that. And then he goes on to say, well, if you're evil and God is righteous and holy, how much better gifts would the Holy Father give to his children than just you? 
James chapter one, starting in verse five. This one, in our culture and our society, this one should cause us the most problem, and I will explain afterwards why. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So again, ask, and it will be given. What will be given? Wasn't a trick question. <laughs> In this particular verse, what would be given? Wisdom. Wisdom. Ask, and it will be given wisdom. But... Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. In our culture, in our society at the present moment, if we have a problem, you know what we typically do? We ask someone to suggest a book for us. Right? Like if I'm struggling in my marriage, well, what's the best marriage book that I can read? If I'm struggling in my finances, what's the best finance book that I can read? If I'm struggling in school, what's the best school book? Well, I don't know. That one seemed kind of weird. But you see what I'm saying? Like we have all of these things and we're like, well, let's just go to the bookstore and get a book that's going to tell us do these three things, do these ten things, do this, and it's going to solve our problem. This verse says, if you have a problem in your marriage, you should be praying and asking God for wisdom. If you have a problem in your finances, you should be praying and asking God for wisdom. If you have problem relating to people, you should be praying and asking God for wisdom. If you have problem making a decision about where you should go or what you should do or how you should live your life, you should be praying and asking God for wisdom not the 10 steps to be successful okay some of you may be frustrated I'm not saying that you shouldn't read the books okay I don't have a problem with reading well I'm a bad reader but I still think that you should read but I'm saying why do we turn to those things before we turn to asking God for wisdom Can we put that picture? Do I have a picture? I think I have a picture. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it very well. This gets me in trouble when I, I was about to say, free lunch to anybody who can tell me what that is, but that'll get me in trouble because I already owe somebody lunch because I said something stupid one day and now I owe them lunch. So no lunch. Anybody know what this is? Anyone? Yes, a flannel board. And some of you are like, huh? Okay, those of you that grew up in church like as a kid, raise your hand. Okay, those of you that didn't grow in church, you don't know what this is, but I'm going to explain it to you for just a moment. Okay, so if you grew up in church as a kid, there was this thing, it was like a flannel, I guess, I don't know what it was, but there was this material, and when you would go to Sunday school class, you would have these little characters, right, and whatever the story was, then you could like put them on there, and they would stick, and you could move them around, and you could kind of like act out the story, and the teacher would tell you different stuff or whatever, so the flannel, and that's what it would be. I want to ask you a question. Those of you that grew up going to church as a kid, what was your favorite story from Sunday school that you saw? Maybe, okay, some of you aren't old enough to know what that is, but so maybe you looked on your iPad. What is your favorite, what is your favorite Bible story from a kid? When you were a kid, what did you just tell, just yell? Zacchaeus, okay? Zacchaeus. So you would put the stuff up there, Zacchaeus, and there was a little song, I think. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, okay? But there was a song. What else? Zacchaeus. What else? Noah. Noah. Okay, good one. What else? Jonah. Jonah's a really good one. Daniel was a good one. Okay. The, huh? David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Throw rocks and knock them down. Like that. 
What else? Joseph. What else? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fire, and they get out, and like, it was amazing. And I know, I don't know what it was about, it probably wasn't the flannel board or whatever, but I remember as a kid what it was like when I was a kid. Like sometimes when we get adult, become adults, and it's bad. Because you remember, so some of you don't remember this because you didn't grow up going to church as a kid, but if you grew up going to church as a kid and you heard the story about escaping the lion's den because God rescued him and protected him, you're like, yes, my God can do anything. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you hear the story about going through the fire and God, yes, my God can do anything. And you hear the stories. And as a kid, you're like, yes, God is amazing and he can do anything. And then we get to be an adult. And we begin to think we have to do it instead of God. Like we think, I just got to work harder. I got to be smarter. I got to try more. Like, the, like we just think that that's what it's all about, and it has nothing to do with that. And so the question that I have for you this morning as an adult, are you seeking intellect or are you seeking God? There's nothing wrong with learning. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with learning. But, but we have this statement, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because maybe you've heard it, but I just want to make, don't raise your hand. God helps those who help themselves. Like the, that's, we hear that a lot. This doesn't come from the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So don't say that. It's not true. It doesn't say that at all. And here's, so here's the, here's, the, here's the key. If you want to know how to be a good prayer, when we actually get to the point where we realize that we're not in control, that's when we start to become a good prayer. Because we think that we can do it. We think that we're smart enough. We think that we're strong enough. Like, we think that we can do it. But you know when you start really praying? When you lost your job and you don't know what you're going to do next. Then you start praying. Like, that's a real prayer then. Before, it was just kind of like, let me do something and ask God to bless it. When you get that diagnosis and you're sick and it's going to be a really long road to recovery or maybe no recovery at all, then you pray. Like we think that we can do it. You can't. You are not smart enough. You are not strong enough. You are not fast enough to outrun life. You need God. A couple more verses. There's an interesting verse in James chapter 5, verse 17, and I don't have time to give you the whole background and story, so in a moment can I give you a homework assignment? Um, James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like whose? Ours. Okay, so if you don't know the whole story, you're going to have to go back and do some research and see why this is such a big deal that it says this. I don't have time to tell you all of it. I'm going to tell you what it says right here and maybe one other thing. But you need to go read the story, and this should freak you out. It says in James, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. 
And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That wasn't the only thing that happened in the story. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff. He called down fire. He brings somebody back from the dead. Birds come and bring him food. Like God sustains him in some incredible ways. And James says, like, you shouldn't just look up to Elijah like, oh, well, he's super spiritual. You're just like him. And in some ways, you actually might be a little bit better because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So he's like, he prayed some cool prayers and God did some amazing things. You're just like that. You're just like that. And then Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 5. Like this tells us, like you can pray and fast and use really big spiritual words and God can say, eh, didn't really count. Like this should scare us. Because sometimes we like to pray and use fancy words. Okay, don't misunderstand. You can use a fancy word and still be righteous and go to God. That's not what I mean. I, I have a small vocabulary. You have a large one. You can pray with big words. But if your only desire is to use big words to impress people and to do things, this should be interesting. Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 5, it says, Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? He's like, you do all of these super spiritual things. You fast and you make yourself look like you've been fasting and you pray like this and you do this. He's like, is this really what, what you think is going to accomplish something? Look what it says, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? And then he goes on to tell us kind of like what it is. Like it's a big deal. Is not this the fast that I choose? And then it looks, look at it as it says. To loose the bonds of the wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. He's like, wouldn't it be more important for you to spend time with the needy? Like, yes, I want you to pray. Like, don't misunderstand. I want you to pray. But wouldn't it be more important for you to pray and go do this at the same time? Like, wouldn't that be something that would be really important? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then look what it says in verse 9. Then, so after all of this, like you're taking care of people, you're serving people, you're working with people, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Like sometimes, what, this, what these verses are saying is just be careful because you could pray for days and days and days and actually not be finding God. But yet, when we're giving ourselves away, when we're letting God use us, when we're letting God change us and then use us to change the world, he's like, here I am, what do you need? Here I am. So just be careful. This is a, just, was a quick warning. We gotta hurry, we gotta hurry. 
John 15, Jesus again talking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides, this is a really interesting word to me. I had to look it up because I don't know about you, I don't use that word. I mean, I know that you, your vocabulary is way larger than mine. Abide. Do you use that? Like, we just don't use that word, abide. Like, it even sounds weird, abide. So I had to look it up. I did. I looked it up. I mean, I had the general idea, okay? But I looked it up. Did you know that John in his writings uses this particular word abide over 40 times? I, I don't remember the number. 42, 40, over 40. And in different contexts, it kind of means a few different things. So here's what some of the things that it means when you see the word abide. Continuing, enduring, awaiting, dwelling, and withstanding firm, and immovable without yielding. And I think that we can even draw the conclusion as we continue to read this verse that what he's saying is when you abide, part of abiding includes conversation and communing with him. Okay? So then it goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, don't miss this. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, so if you pray, if you listen, if you read scripture, like there's a bunch of things that encompass that, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is not the cosmic vending machine. This is when you abide in him, when you're connected to him, he's changing you and using you to change the world and you need something to accomplish God's purposes. Yes, here I am. What do you need? So the question then becomes, are you pursuing God or pursuing the things or the actions of God? Like sometimes we just pursue the actions of God and not God himself. Like we just, like, and those could be good things. God, I just, we're about to, to do this class at the well and I need you to bless it because it would bring you glory. There's nothing wrong with praying for those things, but are we praying that God would just bless a class or are we praying that we would actually be closer to him? Like sometimes we seek the things from God more than we seek God. That's what prayer is that we're talking about. Last thing. So if you hadn't paid attention because you didn't like me reading, I'm about to read some more, but I need you to pay attention. <laughs> Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. I kind of pray that this doesn't leave your mind that for the next week, for the next month, for the next year, that you can't get this verse out of your mind. And I pray that it messes with you. That's what I pray. that it Because me let me tell you, it's messed with me this week, so I just want it to mess with you too. Verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord... One thing have I asked of the Lord. Let me just ask you a quick question. If we could like bring everybody up here this morning and plug you into a little printer and we could print out the transcripts for your prayer this week, what would we see? Psalm 27 verse four says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after him, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God, just one thing. I want to know you more. I want to see your beauty. I want to see your greatness. Is that what your prayer life is like? Or is it like, God, my grandmother has this bunion on her toe and it hurts. <laughs> like that's usually what happens. And so for this week, I, was, I tried to do this. For this week, I tried to, to just at least make sure that the beginning or the majority of my prayer was one thing. This verse, 
God, I want to know you more. I want to see your glory. God, I want to dwell in your presence. And you know what I found? It was really hard. Like it was almost so hard that it was frustrating. Okay, I need to pray. God, I need you to bless this. And I need you to help me with this. And I need to go do this. And could you do this? And it becomes like this to-do list. And so I want to ask you, just for one week, can I challenge you to pray one thing? Like I'm not saying that you can't add things afterwards, but maybe the first thing. The first thing that you pray is that, God, I just want to be in your presence. I want to see your beauty. I want to know you more. Would you reveal more of yourself to me? That that would be the majority of your prayer. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for people. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask for forgiveness. I'm just saying, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to know you more. One thing. Because here's what's interesting. Because when you read this particular verse, you're like, yeah, okay, I could do that. But you don't understand the circumstances of my life. I got a lot of stuff going on. Mm, Be careful. Because let's look at the context of this verse. Because it would be easy for us to say, I can't pray for just one thing because I got a lot of stuff going on. I got school, I got work, I got my kids, I got my crazy husband, I got all this stuff. Let's read Psalm 27, verse 4, just a few verses before that. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. So you think you got problems? <laughs> my adversaries and foe, if they, it is they who stumble and fall. God, I just want to be in your presence because I know if I'm in your presence, you're going to take care of me. I know that if I seek after you, I don't have to be afraid of my circumstances. I don't have to be afraid of what's going on in my life. I don't have to be afraid that I lost my job. I don't have to be afraid that I'm sick. I don't have to be afraid that my relationships stink. I don't have to be afraid because I'm in your presence. When evildoers assail me to eat my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble. Though an army encamp against me, so a whole army, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, not deliver me, not help me in this. Yes, he'll do that. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will counsel me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for all of these other things. I'm just asking you for one week, would you take a challenge? Just pray one thing. And then maybe something after that. At least make it be the beginning. Because this is it. If there is, and we read that there was at the very beginning of the message. I know it was a long time ago, so maybe you forgot. But if there is a sovereign God who is outside of time, who causes things in heaven and on earth to happen, he's in charge of everything. If there is a sovereign God, and we read that there was, if there is a sovereign God, then wouldn't it make sense that if we're just close to him, that everything would be good? Like, shouldn't that be our goal, just to be close to him? If I can just be close to the sovereign, holy, righteous God, that would be a good thing. 
And so I just want to ask you and challenge you when you think about prayer, what does it look like for you to pray, God, I just want to be in your presence. I just want to see you more. I just want to know you more. I want to see your beauty. I want to see your righteousness. Show yourself to me. And if that makes up the, encompasses the majority of your prayer, how does that change you? It changes me a lot. Because my prayer then moves away from becoming a to-do list and becomes, God, you are indeed a holy, righteous God, and I just want to know you more. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning as we have attempted to talk about what on the surface appears to be confusion a righteous, holy, sovereign God, or a God that desires us to ask him because you want to give. And God, I think that the the reality is that the answer is, yes, you're a divine mystery and that you use prayer to accomplish your purposes in your people. And so, God, I pray that we indeed would seek after you above all else. And I pray that at least at the beginning of our prayers this week, that we would just pray one thing. God, I just want to be in your presence. I want to see your beauty. I want to see you as king. I want to see you as righteous. I want to see you as holy. I just want to dwell in your presence for a moment because when I'm in your presence, I know that everything is going to be okay, even when my circumstances stink. If I can just be in your presence, I know it's all going to be okay. It doesn't mean that our circumstances go away. It doesn't mean that Life is always going to be perfect or that life is always going to be great, but it does mean. Just like I remember hearing the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it doesn't mean that God always puts out the fire in our life, but it does mean, God, that you're going to be there to walk through the fire with us because we don't ever have to be alone. And God, this morning, we read that salvation comes from you that you draw people to yourself. And I wonder even this morning in the midst of talking about prayer if you have begun to draw somebody to yourself, if you've heightened somebody's uh, person, their inner being that they don't know how to explain to anybody else but they feel themselves being drawn to you. God, I just pray that you would continue to press in upon them and I pray that they would simply say yes to you. God, we acknowledge that You sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And three days later, he came back to life. That you, God, made a way for us when there was no way. You made a way. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that you're king. We thank you that you're all-knowing. We thank you that you love us and that you desire to give us what we ask because we are connected to you. So God, I pray that you would use us, that you would change us and use us to change the world. In your righteous and holy name we pray, amen.